We're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and on today's show, Compassion versus Empathy, and our special guest, an interview with my mentor and friend, Howard Hansen. Hey, Ron, how you doing? I'm great, Ed. How are you? I'm good. I'm I'm real excited about this topic, and of course, having Howard on the show. Howard is what it, our our fourth or fifth recidivist guest, as I like to call him. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, which is which is an honor we bestow on 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 relatively few people. So we're we're certainly glad to welcome Howard to that that pantheon of of uh, of folks to to join us for a, for a second time on the Soul of Enterprise. Um, Howard was I met first met Howard when he was I believe the executive vice president for human resources at Great Plains Software back in the day, as we say in the technology business. And Howard was not only doing some great work within inside Great Plains, where they were named one of the 100 best companies to work for in America, I don't know how many years running, some crazy number of times, and, but he then turned his sights on the partner channel and the organizations that worked and, and resold Great Plains as software. And I was thrilled to be one of Howard's customers. And he he worked extensively with my organization on building our shared vision and strategy and uh, doing some just some some great great things over the course of the years. And um, I, I now have the the privilege of of working with Howard on a more regular basis. He has a fantastic website that I've I've uh, helped him get out there called HealingLeaders.com, and we want to hear a little bit more about that. But um, let let me just welcome Howard Hansen back to the Soul of Enterprise. Welcome, Howard. Thank you, Ed, and thank you for asking me so many times to come back. I, I'm honored. <laughs> and, and Ron, hello to you, and uh, it's good to be with both of you today. Thanks, Thanks for Howard. asking me. You bet. Honored to have you. Uh, so, Howard, just a little bit more, perhaps, background on yourself. I, I know, for one, this is kind of fun for you because you're originally a, an old radio guy or media guy, and and did some broadcast yourself. So, just get, just give us a, the a, the you know the quick Reader's Digest condensed version of you know Howard Hansen through the ages. Yeah, well, we'll make it short. Um, old radio guy is true in both senses of the word. Um, <laughs> that was my. First, I suppose you'd call it career, was broadcasting. And um, there was, as happens to many in uh, surprising moments of life, an opportunity to make a hard turn away from that into something new and what turned out to be the most exciting um, career direction. I could have dreamed of, and that was joining a small startup company that was involved in trying to invent uh, some decent uh, accounting software for small businesses in the 80s. Um, it was um, a risky jump, um, but it felt right and good to do in my late 30s, and um, turned out to have been a um, uh, a risk with rewards. The uh, the company Great Plains, which is now part of Microsoft, was um, was had just been acquired from its owners by Doug Burgum, and he was um, a strong visionary and um, also a risk taker, hiring guys like me who didn't know anything about anything in the computer world but believed that there was the potential for building this company into something um, unique and successful and fun. 
in, of all places, Fargo, North Dakota. Um, the, the job I got or fell into when I joined the company was to create um, a human resources group um, w- way before most companies tend to do that. We were 35 or 40 people at the time. But uh, Doug Bergen believed that the future of the company's success depended, would depend in large measure on how well we hired people and how and what kind of a culture we offered or created for those people to work in. And he believed that if we could somehow build an organization wherein its employees and our fellow workers could uh, believe they were gaining a deep sense of satisfaction and reward from their experience, it, was, it would be highly probable that we'd become a successful company. And, and he was right. Um, my job was to be just to get on one of the oars in that boat and, um, and help uh, navigate toward that kind of organization and help build some structure within and create some leadership that was tuned into that so that we might, we might get somewhere. And I have a story about that which gets to our topic today, and um, the topic being compassion and empathy. And I'm um, grateful you two guys have, have thought of this as a topic to talk about. It, it, it occurs to me this is more relevant today than the, the question of um, the existence of empathy and what it means and how and whether it... Uh, it has value, and, and how it has value in organizations in particular. It occurs to me this question may be more profound than it's ever been. Um, it's certainly a re-emerging hot topic, isn't it, um, in media? Our, our president is scrutinized for his empathy or lack thereof in media. I was pondering this this morning before I knew we were going to visit, and I, 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 it occurred to me there are a couple of words that we haven't heard much in our language much any uh, much anymore. And one of them is maturity, and the other might be empathy. We can talk about maturity if we'd like to, but our focus today is empathy. Um, and I think they're connected. I want to go... Before we go much farther, Ron and Ed, I want to mention um, that in previous times together, my late partner, Steve Jeske, has been with us. He is no longer um, alive, and I want to honor his, um, his meaningful presence in the work that we did together in the Healing Leaders world, and much of what I... What we talk about today and whatever I add to that conversation um, will have his voice in it. Um, he was a, a, a tr- tr- tremendously thoughtful guy and often led our thinking together in some surprisingly wonderful ways. Um, so I have a story about the human resources group at Great Plains Software. We, we had uh, a published set of shared values which were well integrated in the company. I think had a, it went a long way. The success of that integration went a long way to help the company become successful. We also had some language about the company that were not perfectly aligned with our articulated values, but certainly in the same family, and that was that we wanted to have a company which felt like a family. And since then, I've worked with clients who have who've spoken often of wanting their companies to be like a family. And um, today, knowing what we know about family dynamics, 
I probably should have asked in those days, what kind of family do we want? (laughs) (laughs) And um, we put the fun and dysfunctional family, Howard. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, There are many families, including my own, that I have sometimes not wanted to be part of. (laughs) And I think that took on a meaning that wasn't accurate. But in our case, um, we took that idea pretty literally, and we found ourselves, by we I mean the folks in the HR group, found ourselves quickly with these young employees, our average age was in the mid-20s, coming into our offices with one problem or another uh, that they wanted advice on. I think more more they wanted to unload about, but it was disguised as looking for advice. Um, A conflict with a fellow team member, um, a a supervisor who was difficult or challenging to work with, money problems at home, um, how to get a promotion in the company, a handbook that was so thin, intentionally so, that it was difficult to know, you know, how do I get ahead around here? All kinds of problems. And we took that stuff very seriously. We engaged with these people. We gave them a lot of time. We uh, attempted to help them think through their issues. We offered a lot of advice. Um, We created an employee assistance program to which we could refer these individuals when they, when when we finally admitted we were out of our depth, way, way after we were out of our depth. And one day I was traveling and picked up a voicemail from the president of the company. <clears throat> and we thought we were doing this very well. And we were fairly pleased with how Dependent, that's the word, dependent, our employees became on our shop, came, became on our shop, and how important we felt we were in creating the culture in the company where employees could always come to us and get answers to their problems. The voicemail that I heard one night uh, in a hotel somewhere, um, from the president of the company was, I'm uh, beginning to think the human resources department is becoming an emergency room and a trauma center. And I don't think I like where that's going. That was a seminal moment for me. It began a new way of thinking about dependency, about solving others' problems before instead of encouraging them and suggesting they solve their own first. And I remember feeling depressed by this message for several months. But out of that depression came some new thinking in our group, one which I think added more value to our teams than we ever had before. And it turned the way we interacted with these many people, from let me hear your problem and help you fix it, to instead of rescuing you, how about you tell us what you think your alternatives are? And maybe you can achieve some growth and maturity and personal development in yourself and therefore become more successful in the organization including in the relationships you have with others and become more valuable to us. That was a significant moment and I think began the thinking that exists today um, when I think about empathy and its misuse and abuse um, around me and in clients that I work with. I'll stop there for anything you guys want to add? 
Well, that that's a, that is an outstanding setup, Howard. What we do have to do is we do have to take a quick break right now. So we'll let people process that and think that through as we go into commercial. And when we come back, we'll 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 unpack Howard's story and talk a little bit about that. I think it's an excellent setup for our conversation at hand and the topic that we intend to talk about today, and that is compassion versus en- empathy. Right, right now we want to remind you that you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to ask tsoe at verisage. Also, the website is, of course, thesoulofenterprise.com, where you can view previews as well as show notes from all of the previous shows that we've done. But right now, a word from our sponsor, Leading Results. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Is your website just a brochure, or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have, but have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with Howard Hansen, a returning guest on The Soul of Enterprise. And we're talking about the difference between empathy and compassion. And probably sympathy's in there, too, Howard. But I, it, it's your, your story struck me because when you said that HR is becoming an ER emergency room, I, I think that's actually quite profound. Um, and the question I have is, you know, the, the, the word empathy apparently was coined around 1910, developed out of a concept from the 1890s. And it's one of those words uh, that originated in German. It's got one of those loose translations into English, but it's basically feeling into. Whereas sympathy has a rich heritage going all the way back to Plato. And it, it means feeling with. So the difference between feeling into and feeling with um, it, you know, the old, it's, it's kind of like the story, the conjoined twins, you know, where one drinks, the other gets drunk. That's empathy. <laughs> and But sympathy or compassion is focused on the other person. It's kindness towards the other person. It's outward directed. Empathy tends to be more inward directed. It's all about me. H- how do you see these two different concepts? I, I know it's words, but words are quite meaningful. Yeah, um, I think the mis- let me go at it this way. I think the mistake we're making with the word empathy is is what we're coming to believe, or we yeah we're coming to believe that it means both understanding another's perspective and then acting protectively, if you will toward that person with that perspective. And I think that, Ron, the differences between empathy and sympathy might be empathy is the first and sympathy is the other. And and then the degree with which one behaves sympathetically 
um, it contains some element of compassion. Um, we 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 can move toward someone in pain, and that's sympathy. We can act at levels, creative levels, for and in support of someone in pain, and there are elements of compassion in that. But when we act, when we empathize, which is to say, we, well, I, I get that. I understand that you are feeling as you are feeling, and we're dealing with emotional processes. Um, and if Steve were here, he'd say, let's remember all leadership is emotional. <laughs> right, <laughs> it's essentially right. an emotional process. Um, that the mistake we make is to move proactively t- to assist uh, the other who who uh, communicates pain or discomfort or problem, and what, what we began to understand in healing leaders, or at least we think we understand. Re- remember, we, we there's a more we don't know than we know, but what we we think we understand with healing leaders is. When we see leaders moving toward the other to rescue, which is empathy gone off the rails, mm-hmm. um, we see, we, we are watching a behavior which impairs the capacity of the, of, of the other from developing his or her own ways to manage his or her own problems. Right. And that, I think, does harm and not good. I, I, I think you're exactly right. I mean, if, if I'm unemployed, down and out on my luck, do, do I want somebody who has been there and can feel my pain and, and relate to it? Or do I want somebody who's mm-hmm. built a business has never been unemployed in their life to hire me? <laughs> yeah. Or, or do I want a surgeon who feels my pain? Or do I want a surgeon who is going to rise above that human nature of feelings and do what's right in the OR? And not, and not feel my pain, but alleviate mine with his skills. Yeah, I think I think a, a leader who practices, let's call it beyond empathy or uh, protective empathy, let's call it. I think those leaders uh, have an inner dialogue going, and well, I know these leaders. You probably do too. And the dialogue is, well, if I can just get this person to get over this, whatever it is, right? If I if I can just help him or her change how he's feeling, I can get back to the thing I need to do. So let's get this done. This is another task item. And this, this looks, this sort of translates into something that looks and sounds like, I understand how you feel, right? But now feel differently. Oh, and here's some fast advice on how to do that. Hmm. As it, opposed it, to the person wallowing in my pain as well. Right, right. And when Friedman titled his great book, Leadership in the Age of the Quick Fix, he, he was talking about this, I think. He was thinking leaders who respond to others' emotional uh, challenges do so with an intent to fix. And that's when empathy becomes proactive and does more harm than good. And I guess the other thing that, that fascinates me about this is um, you know, there's a guy, a psychologist, Paul Bloom, who wrote a great book called Against Empathy, The Case for Rational Compassion. And he actually thinks and makes the argument in this book 
that empathy he believes is a force for evil, uh, which sounds extreme until you realize that, you know, he says it's a poor moral guide for making policy because it tends to be focused. It puts the spotlight, um, you know, on one person, which could be completely biased. I might only feel empathy for those who look like me. Uh, it, it tends to focus on the short term. I mean, may, he makes four arguments against it. I won't go into all of them, but it, it basically empathy requires immersion into the other person's feelings, and it crowds out independent thought. It's the last thing I want from a doctor, um, but it, it's also really not the thing I want from a judge in a trial either. Because how can a judge show empathy to both sides in a trial? That makes yeah. sense. Yes, it does. And um, I'm trying to think of a, come back to a point you just made about, um, well, I can't think of it, but the, when we behave with empathic protectionism, we actually put the other in a position of not working on his or her own depression or frustration or discouragement well enough to lead to his or her own important change. And yes, Iran, what you said, what, what the, the, the thing you said about um, the uh, incidental application of empathy, a leader can empathize, when, when a leader practices empathy, he or she finds himself doing it uh, one way with one and another with another in a, in a way that becomes discriminatory. Now, when leaders back up from rescue, when they, when they decide to be empathic in the truest sense of the word, which is to um, work to understand, but not rescue, they often put themselves in a position of being um, criticized by those who are ready to be rescued. Right. They're lacking empathy or whatever, yeah. Yeah. It, it's funny, Howard, uh, the psychologist Paul Bloom actually equates empathy with anger. And he says, you know, neither are good for policy decisions because they tend to be too capricious or too irrational. And I think that's a real interesting analogy that empathy is anger in, on, on some levels. Same type of emotional, you know, response, and it can lead to some bad errors. Well, maybe in the next segment, I don't know how much time we have here, but in the next segment, we could visit a little bit about the emotional triangle. Um with we work with in healing leaders where uh, where em empathic reactions are crucial to the operation of that triangle. Excellent. Yes, I'd, I'd love to get into the emotional triangles. But in the meantime, folks, I'd like to remind you, if you want to contact Ed or myself, you can do so at AskTSOE at Verisage.com. Please go out to iTunes and give us a review. It helps us get uh, great guests like Howard here. And now we want to hear from our sponsors. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the foreword to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its foreword. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the foreword and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. 
The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are back on The Soul of Enterprise with our guest Howard Hansen and in another way, Steve Jeske. I'm sure that Steve is with us, especially as we move into this next topic. And uh, specifically because I can remember, Howard, the first time that I ever heard about emotional triangles. And it was, was certainly from our, our friend Steve Jeske. And the importance of it, of, of this concept that uh, on my life has been in, just in, incredibly profound. Uh, it's something that both my wife and I, and even Ron and I, we, we talk about on a regular basis about make, make sure may, we, quote, maintain the outside position, which once you understand what that means, becomes almost a mode of living. So if you wouldn't mind taking us through what the, the notion of an emotional triangle is and, and how it's related then, of course, to empathy and compassion. Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll start with um, a current situation that I'm in. Our son is to be married this weekend, and I've had all kinds of chances to take the outside position in all of the uh, craziness that goes on in a family when it prepares for the wedding of one of its members. And and I, as I go down the an explanation of the triangle, maybe this will become, maybe this comment will become clearer. Um, the, the emotional triangle has this, really has this foundation in Bowen, uh, family systems theory, and Ed, and, uh, Ed Friedman brought it along and uh, massaged it and, and matured it and developed it. Uh, Steve and I, uh, and Steve as, as a, uh, as a, uh, a sociologist um, was intimately familiar with that thinking. Uh, and then we thought together, what if you reverse engineered this into businesses and you took the emotional um, the uh, <clears throat> emotional triangle idea uh, and applied it to leadership? The, 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 the concept of emotional triangle suggests, that instead of thinking that basic human relationships exist in pairs or involve two people, they really involve three people. They're generally, um, they're generally three people. And there are two people on the inside and one on the outside. And, though, and the two people who are on the inside have some sort of a relationship uh, which both believe is important to maintain and to uh, keep going. And with all human relationships between two people, there will be conflict in that, in that relationship. And at times, the conflict between those two people will reach levels which are understood to be or intuited to be unacceptable by one or both parties in that relationship. 
We're all in those relationships. We all meet moments in our relationships with our other important people um, where um, the conflict has reached a point where um, one or both of us believe it's just not acceptable. Now, when that happens, a third party arrives to form the uh, other point of the triangle and becomes the outside occupant because one of the inside members uh, will determine it's time to, let's say, vent off the uh, frustration that exists in that moment of high conflict to get some relief uh, so that at least some stasis will come back and this relationship can continue. So whoever is on, who, whichever person is on the inside decides to do this, finds the third person and creates a dialogue, a monologue dash dialogue um, and expresses concern and frustration and blame and unloads on the third person in the triangle. At this point, the person on the third, the third person is on the outside position until and unless the third person decides, and this happens more often than not, to come inside and to meet with one or both of the two inside members and help them fix their problem. And when I think about that happening, and I've, I've done it plenty, um, I'm off, often struck by how much hubris there is involved in that decision uh, that I alone, what we've been hearing this lately, I alone can fix this problem, so I'm coming in uh, to help you do that. What we believe, and, when, and this is particularly important when we think about leaders who do this in their organizations and businesses, what we believe, what we came to believe is when that leader stays on the outside and says, I'm not coming in there to help you, he or she is saying to the two inside members of the triangle, you have an opportunity now to work together to mature your relationship so that one of two things can happen. The next time conflict reaches, reaches this point, you have a way to manage yourselves through it together. Or you manage your relationship so conflict doesn't reach, reach this point in the future. Either way, you'll be better off than you are now. And it's not because I came in there. It's because I stayed on the outside and refused to rescue you. And I think this idea has a real connection to empathy. Um, if a leader stays on the outside, he can be empathetic in doing so. He can be empathetic in saying, I understand what you're going through. I get why you're upset and frustrated, but I'm not coming in there to help you. This is really your job to do. And as we used to tell leaders, practice saying the term, good luck with that. Hope it works out for you. <laughs> But that's it, Howard? No, there's got to be like a, a seven-point plan. That's what we need. We need the checklist of the seven things to do when two people at our office are in conflict with one another, and we need to just execute on that seven-point plan, and then all will be well. Yeah, and uh, you know, five tips for staying on the outside or going inside. Yeah, And this really works in family systems, too, as Ed was alluding to. Earlier, um, it works in my family when I can say at moments like this week, hey, I'm not coming in there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm staying out here while you guys work out this issue. Uh, I'm here to help. You know, I'm here to help if you need me, but I'm not going to save you from the issue that's got you frustrated. Um, you can work on that. You're mature people. Um, and it's arrogant of me to suggest that you don't have the capacity to do that and that you need me to rescue you. And, and isn't that, the, that the, the point, Howard, is that we, we see so much in, in leadership. You're right. It is an arrogance, but yet 
that's what what so many leaders are 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 taught to do is and and this go, and as as uh, Edwin Friedman points out in his book this this, this <clears throat> pertains to these family systems it pertains to your business relationships it pertains to you know not for profits that you're involved in it it, it it's communities church groups uh, large businesses all the way on up to international relationships right there's these right. triangles that exist certainly in Washington DC <laughs> Exactly. Yes, certainly. Um, if if you're going, and here's here's the bad news: if you're going to work on maintaining the outside, and and I, I tell leaders, you got two or three things you want to work on all the time. Um, you want to self-define. Um, you want to work on your own maturity, and you want to watch those triangles. And I tell them, when you get good at maintaining the outside position, plan on a lot of blowback for a while. It's not going to be a lot of fun. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Because those who depended on you to come and rescue them are going to get pretty mad at you when you stop doing that. And you'll get resistance, and you'll get sabotage, and you get pushed back, and you'll get called names. And people will talk badly about you behind your back. But the more you practice this, the more you lift the capacity of your organization, the members of the organization, to learn to become more mature themselves and to manage relationships more successfully. Is it a little bit I, often an analogy that I that I sometimes use on this, Howard? Is it, it, it reminds me of the the announcement that's made a, a, on every flight that I'm on. You know, please please work to secure your own mask before assisting others. Yeah, right. And it, yep. it seems it's a, it's a little bit like that, right? That we we first have to get your your own place in order first be, before you can be of service to others. Mm-hmm. But but you can't you can't breathe for them, right? including you your own. Including your own child. Right, right. Including your own child. Because otherwise you end up with a dead child and parent, right? Right, right. Wow. Uh, this is just amazing stuff. And, and sadly, we're up against our last break here. I uh, want to remind you that you can get a hold of uh, Ron or myself by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. And the website, of course, is the soul of enterprise. Keep those emails coming, and certainly please do consider reviewing us on iTunes. Uh, just uh, go log into iTunes and give us a rating, and we'd love to hear from you. But right now, a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. Here We're here with Howard Hansen. He's the author of Healing Leadership, which is a fantastic book. We highly recommend it. We will link it in our show notes. 
And Howard, going back to your story from the first segment where you said your your boss had called you or the CEO had called you and said, you know, I think HR is becoming ER uh, and, and I'm, I don't like the direction. I have to ask you, do you, do you think HR is part of the problem in organizations today? They, they just seem to be so administrative and so process driven and not results driven. Do, do, do you think they're, they're a problem? Oh, sure. Um, uh, I've been out of HR for quite a long time. Um, in our case, we were both helpful and harmful. Maybe that's the label we can put on HR as well as all, all other <laughs> systems in the organization. Um, but and from, from my now more limited scope of what HR is like today, um, I, I fear they have remained, it's, HR has remained more um, process-oriented or, and less, shall we say, strategically influential in the organization. Um, not long ago, I was visiting with a, a person who had just taken over some HR responsibilities in a company, and she was just interested in a little conversation about it. And I asked her whether she her position, she could say that her position um, had a seat at the strategic table in the organization. And she was thrown by that question. She didn't quite know what that Mm -hmm. meant, which I suppose is just as as disappointing as hearing her say no. Um, My belief has been that when human resources does have that seat at the strategy table, it can have more value since when you're at the strategy table, you're working on mission, you're working on values, you're working on vision, you're working on strategy, uh, and you're even if you're not making significant uh, high-end contributions to those conversations, you're there when those conversations are occurring, and you can take that with you and influence, um, even when you do grassroots influence in the organization by interacting with people, you can have an impact there. The other thought that occurs to me with your question, Ron, is um, is how is how this idea of empathy can be used in interviewing candidates for jobs. Mm. Um, and you both know, since Ron, Ron you wrote um, the foreword to our other book, Calling the One, which for which I'm entirely grateful, um, which is was our thinking about how to do interviewing well. Um, and you know that our idea is that interviewers should look for behavioral stories from people, you know, which which illustrate their some of their characteristics. Um, and I, I, it occurs to me that maybe some of these questions and interviews don't necessarily explore the existence of or levels of or definitions of empathy in candidates for jobs. And it would be important to dis- to discover that in interviews, mm. um, that managers develop ways of, um, well, to, 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 to understand how someone has defined empathy in his or her work life, has acted on empathy, and um, whether you, in front of you, you might have a candidate who's going to be a rescuer or someone with more mat- more maturity. Right. Uh, now, so, so, eight, go ahead. So I was just going to say, so if you're interviewing Bill Clinton and he says, I feel your pain, it's a red flag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. <clears throat> hey, Howard, loop, looping back to something that you said earlier, just and this is it's slightly off topic, but I, th- I think a fun way to perhaps close the show, we've got about four minutes left here. You know, you you were talking about all of the hiring that you did of people who, at the time, were in their mid twenties, and you were the you know mature adult in your in your late thirties, I guess, at the time. 
and how you know now uh, 30 plus years hence you know all of those folks are now in their late late to or mid to mid to late 50s and here's what i hear a lot at, at conferences that i go to from these same people that you were hiring back then how do we deal with those millennials <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> and I find I find it what what I, what I find with this whole naming of the generations is it, I find it to be unhelpful it because is. I don't think it has anything to do with the generation. It has to do with being young versus being older. <laughs> yeah, and as soon as we separate, we we allow skepticism, cynicism, and doubt to enter in because we're talking about other and not ourselves, and that's unfair and wrong. Um, I know a bunch of millennials who love working in organizations with strong missions and values. I know a bunch of them. I know a bunch of millennials for whom um, reward in the organization, where compensation is about third or fourth in terms of ranked rewards in the organization for them. There are a few things higher than that, including knowing they're making a difference in some customer's life. Um, I don't think things are changing that much just because we call people younger than ourselves millennials or Cracker Jacks or whatever name we want to put on them. Um, Human nature is human nature over the millennial, the millennium, excuse me. And, mm-hmm. um, the, and um, I, I think we work with millennials as they want to be worked with. And it might be good to ask them how they want to be worked with and Amen. look for the similarities with how we've always wanted to be worked with and go from there. Amen. Amen. Well, the book is books are calling the one and healing leadership. Howard Hansen, thanks for being a guest on the soul of enterprise. Ron, I guess I'll see you in 167 hours. Excellent. (laughs) Grateful to be with you guys. Thank you. Thanks, Howard. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week at Friday on Friday at 5, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please do visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com. 